Thank you for listening to this chapel message, originally presented at Clark Summit University in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. With more than 70 on-campus and online programs, Clark Summit University prepares Christ-centered, career-ready graduates to make a difference around the world. We hope this is an encouragement to you today. Well, good morning. I am very excited, admittedly very nervous, but I am very excited to be up here with you this morning. Guys, I am beyond blessed. This is, this is a thrill for me. I, am, I, I, am, I can't even put it into words. I am very excited to be up here with you. Excuse me, with you. And I just, I mean, I thank whomever it is. I thank my classmates for whatever reason, put me up here again. Like, thank you guys. I appreciate that a lot for Dr. McCall for making this possible, for Dr. Lytle for the chapels so, it's, so students can come and speak. Like, this is a thrill. And I just praise God for it and thank you all very much. With that being said, let us pray. God, thank you for who you are and for your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, God. You are very, very good. Thank you for this opportunity, God. I am far from worthy. I'm far from worthy to, to know you, to, to, to be with you, to walk with you, Jesus. God, I, I don't deserve this opportunity uh, to speak or even to know who you are, Jesus, but praise you that you've made it happen. Uh, thank you, God, for saving me from my own sin. Jesus, for laying your life down, being raised to life that I might live and that we might live. I thank you, Lord, for this, and I praise you. Um, give me the words to say, God, I am weak. I am very, very weak, God, but you are strong, and I pray you give me the words to say, and you'd consume me, Lord, Holy Spirit, and that these people here, my brothers and sisters, would be very encouraged this morning, seeing who you are in your word and knowing who you are personally. May they walk with you. May we be with you and see you more clearly because of this message. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. How many of you have ever heard of the movie, or perhaps you've read the book, The Case for Christ? I'm guessing probably a few of you have. So, it's, I've watched the movie, I've not read the book, my personal preference, but I have watched the movie, and I really, really enjoyed the movie. Very well put together, very well done. But for those of you who may not be familiar with what the movie's about, or the book is about, let me just briefly explain it to you. The main character is a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. It's based on a true story. What this man, who this man was, was he was a newspaper editor, and he was a skeptic. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't believe the claims of Christ. And so one day, he, he, this, he wanted to seek out if there's any validity to the claims of Christianity. He wanted to see if there's any legitimacy, any truth to the claims of Christ. <clears throat> he wanted to disprove it, essentially. Someone informed him as to how he would best do this, and that would be to disprove the resurrection, right? Because Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that our faith is based on the resurrection of Christ. That if the resurrection of Christ did not happen, then we are to be of most pity. Our faith is pointless. And so he went out attempting to disprove the claims of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the movie, as it unfolds, you see Lee Strobel walking through the different pieces of evidence that he, can, that he can look at to see if the resurrection was indeed legitimate and authentic. And many of you know, as the movie goes, and as the book turns out, and as the true story turns out, that this man actually goes from being a skeptic to being a saint. He comes to faith, and he's convinced by the evidence of the resurrection. But there's the, this one scene in the movie that I particularly really enjoy. It's like the climax of the movie. 
he's, he's, he's pinned up all these pictures of the different pieces of evidence on the wall of his room in his office, and he's seeing all these pieces of evidence lined up that he's pinned to the wall. He's done the research, he's done the work, he's found the findings, and he's now, at the, at, towards the end of the movie, he stands back, he crosses his arms, and he looks at it, and he says, all right, God, you win. He was convinced. He was convinced, and his skepticism was removed from him. But why do I tell you this story, or why do I elaborate on something that many of you have probably already heard before in your life? I admit, I tend to be a pretty skeptical, analytical person. I like things laid out clearly. Some of you may not even know this, but actually my freshman year here, last year, I was a, a, a math major, and the reason I like that so much is because math is, you might not agree with me, I see math as being very straightforward. Again, you can disagree, but let me explain. Guys, 100% of the time, a squared plus B squared will always equal C squared. It's always going to be that way. And that's something I love about it. It's straightforward. It's relevant. It's legit. It's for real. This, this, this is, this is it's straightforward. Having an analytical mind, that's what I enjoy. But sometimes having an analytical, straightforward mind does not always result in good fruit. And here's what I mean by this. I tend to be pretty skeptical of things, and maybe you all can relate with me on that. That having a very critical, analytical, borderline skeptical mind doesn't help me a lot in terms of my fruit and my relationship with Jesus Christ. Because sometimes Jesus makes some pretty bold claims. And sometimes my own critical nature can lead me to skepticism of who Jesus is. If you'd open your Bibles to John chapter 6, we're going to look at a dialogue this morning between Jesus and a group of people who wrestled with unbelief. I remember... So I've been saved for several years now, praise God, okay? And I remember within a year or so of being saved that I began, I wrestled, and many of you may be able to re- relate with me on this, I began to wrestle even after being saved with the legitimacy of the scriptures. I remember struggling with doubt, thinking, how, how is this true? I, I remember wrestling with my un- own unbelief even after coming to faith. And it was hard. I remember trying to convince myself, convince my very analytical mind, no, it's true. And I remember, remember trying to look at it at various angles, trying to eventually, basically convince myself that what I've placed my faith in is indeed true. I wrestled with my own unbelief. Here we have in this passage a group of people who are gripped by and wrestle with their own unbelief. John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So let me give you a little context. What has happened up to this point, right? Just before this, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 has just occurred. These people that are going to seek Jesus, they were just fed by one of Jesus' very miracles. And so we entered this phase. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, 
but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Verse 30, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We're going to unpack this dialogue a bit. We see these people, again, wrestling, wrestling with their unbelief. So they come seeking Jesus. Bear in mind, and this will come into play in this narrative, they have just been fed by one of Jesus' miracles. They were just the recipients of the feeding of the 5,000, and now they're coming seeking Jesus. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus is honest with them. He's very straightforward with the people. He says, you come seeking me. But you're not looking for signs. You're looking because you just received the physical bread that I gave you not too long ago. He says, you come seeking physical provision. But then he, he flips it and he says, instead, you should be working for the eternal food. You should be working for the eternal food, which comes from the Son of Man. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes. And so Jesus begins to transition things into the spiritual and out of what these people perceive as the physical bread. He says, work for the spiritual food. For the food that endures through eternal life, while the Son of Man will, will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Jesus recognizes who they are and the plight that they're in. He recognizes their unbelief, their skepticism, their doubt, and he says, seek the real food. Seek the real food. The people seem intrigued and they do respond. They say, what does this work look like? What does this work look like? They ask in verse, in verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They're intrigued by what Jesus has said. Jesus is honest with them about their unbelief. And they say, okay, what must I do to be doing the work of God? And then Jesus answers them in an astoundingly simple way. In a very astoundingly simple way. He says, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Do you think that shocked the people who were lo looking for a, a, a list of works to do to be doing the works of God? It most certainly did. It most certainly did. Jesus gives them this astoundingly simple answer. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? All right. 
it is very easy for me, and maybe you all can relate with me on this, it is very easy for me to look, on, look back on biblical narrative or on biblical dialogue like we're in right now and in a sense cast judgment on the people because this, this, really makes, this really opens your eyes as to what the people are saying here. They were just fed. They were just fed by the loaves that Jesus provided. And now they are asking him, then what sign do you do? What work do you perform? Show us a miracle that we may believe in you, even though within the past couple days they were just fed by Jesus himself. They were just the recipients of one of his very miracles, and now they desire another sign. And it's easy from our perspective, 2,000 years later, to look back and think, guys, what were you thinking? You just ate the bread that he made. What are, what's running through your mind? But I am hesitant to think. I know myself well enough. I am very hesitant to think that I would not be saying the same thing that people are saying right here in this passage. I'm pretty convinced that I would be one of those people. Even though I just ate the bread that Jesus provided, I, would, I, I could very easily see myself saying, all right, then show me another sign. That's the power and the strength of their unfortunate unbelief and of their skepticism. What work do you perform? They go on. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus answered them. Well, not surprisingly knowing Jesus, but his grace in his answers to these people is impeccable. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father. Folks, they they misinterpreted scripture right to Jesus. He said, the people are answering. They want a sign. And they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They misinterpreted scripture right to Jesus. Moses didn't give them bread from heaven. The father did. They misquoted scripture right to Jesus. And he responds, correcting them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses. It was not Moses who gave you this bread, but it was my father. My father gives you the true bread. And he transitioned the tense here. My father gives you the true bread. It wasn't Moses who gave them the bread from heaven. But my father gives. My father gives the true bread from heaven. He explains this a bit more as we reach the climax of this dialogue. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the people respond. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Even in the people uttering these few words, they are still gripped by their own unbelief. When they say, sir, give us this bread, think they, they th- still think that they're getting a lifetime subscription, subscription to some bread from Jesus, to some physical bread to satisfy their stomachs. That's what they believe is happening. They still don't understand. They are gripped by their unbelief. And then Jesus makes the bold claim in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. These people are wrestling. They are wrestling with their own unbelief. They are gripped by their own skepticism. They do not understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is, 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 is doing his, he's attempting to transition from the physical bread to the eternal food that is worth working for. He's transitioning into the spiritual and the people are not picking up on it until finally Jesus comes out and utters the words, I am the bread of life. I am him. I am the one. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one who you want. I am the bread of life. And he explains what this means in the latter portion of the verse. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I am the life-giving God. I am the life-giving God. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me, being thirsty will not be an option, because I am the bread of life. I am the life-giving God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is making clear claims to deity when he says that I am the bread of life. Midst the people's skepticism, midst their unbelief, midst their doubt, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the source of satisfaction. I am the pinnacle of provision, and I am the infinite fulfillment. There is no one besides me. I am him. I am the bread of life. And if you desire to be spiritually satisfied in the truest sense, I am the one that you're looking for. That's what Jesus is saying here. I am the life-giving God. But I said to you that you've seen me and yet do not believe. He's honest with the people and he calls out their unbelief. He calls out their unbelief, but then he gives some assurance to those who do believe. Listen closely to verses 37 and 38 yet again. All of the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus gives assurance to those who do come to him in authentic belief. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, be encouraged by this, folks. Be encouraged that whoever comes to me, Jesus will never cast out. Jesus gives assurance to those who do come to believe in him. He says, I keep those who come to me. All the Father gives to me, excuse me, all the Father gives will come to me, and I keep those who do come to me. And the reason for this is that I have come down from heaven. This is Jesus saying, I have come down from heaven, and whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. He's come from heaven not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him. Jesus is on the Father's mission, and those who do come to him in authentic, legitimate belief will never be cast out. And that is encouraging for all of us. So, who is Jesus? How do, you, how do you perceive him? How do you see him? Amidst the words that he's just uttered in this dialogue, how do you see Jesus? Who do you see Jesus as really being? I recognize that a lot of us here, brothers and sisters in Christ, and so this message on unbelief seems distant and far off and maybe even unapplicable in a sense, but I would dare say the different. How do you perceive Jesus? 
have, will you rest in what he said is true of those who come to inauthentic, inauthentic belief? If you have come to faith in Christ Jesus, praise God. And will you rest in the encouragement that he gives in these few verses that those who do come to him, he will never cast out? Will you rest in that encouragement? Well, be encouraged knowing that he will never cast us out who come to him. Rest in the fact of the, the security and the assurance that we have indeed been blessed with. But I don't want to miss the main drive of this passage. You see, the people, as I've, as I've made clear, I hope, that the people here, they are gripped by their own unbelief. But Jesus, Jesus utters some astounding words of who he is. He says, I am the life-giving God. But don't miss the work that Jesus said for them to do. When the people asked him, what must we do to be doing the works of God, what did Jesus say to them? He said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Astoundingly simple answer. Folks, belief is incredibly simple. But it's not necessarily easy. And certainly belief is coupled here with obedience. I don't mean to to segregate the two apart. But sometimes we can really complicate our relationship with Jesus by adding more to belief than what Jesus has originally said for us to do. The people ask, what's the work that we need to be doing? What's the work? Jesus doesn't give them a to-do list. Jesus doesn't say, do this, do that. He doesn't say, pray this much. He doesn't say, read this much. He doesn't say, know this much. He says, believe. He says, believe in the sent one. Believe in the one the Father has sent. And who is that? The bread of life. Jesus does not give them various things to accomplish or to do in hopes of a relationship with him. Jesus is honest with them and he says, believe in me. Let us not make that message more complicated than it really is. So if you are sitting here firm in your belief and praise God, I want you to be encouraged knowing that those who have come to Jesus, he has not, will not, and never will cast out. Praise him for that. But I also want to encourage you this morning. Belief is incredibly simple and we need not complicate it. We need not complicate the the, the belief that Jesus has called us to because he is the life-giving God. And we have the opportunity, the privilege, to just believe in him. Of course, our belief will be accompanied with obedience, as I've said before. But don't complicate the message that Jesus came and proclaimed, that I am the bread of life. Believe in me. Imagine if we just simply believed, if we took Jesus at his word. We didn't add to the faith that he's called us to, but we've taken him for who he's said to be and what he's called us to do. Imagine if we simply believed in the life-giving God, if we took those words to heart, if we really embraced Jesus when he has said, this is the work of God, believe in me. Imagine if we rested him in the assurance that he's given to those who have come to him, knowing that he's never going to cast us out. Imagine if we really, truly rested in that. 
Imagine if we embraced sheer, simple, childlike belief, knowing that I am completely incapable of pleasing God, but rather knowing that Jesus himself is the bread of life, that he himself is the life-giving God, and that believing in him is not just more than enough, it's the only option. Imagine if we just simply believed, knowing and believing Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life, and that whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let us not complicate that message, but embrace that in sheer, simple belief. Thank you, God, for this morning, and I praise you. I pray you were honored and glorified in this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Um, Praise you, God. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Help us to take these words to heart. Jesus, you are the bread of life. You are our God, our Savior, and you are all we have, but you are more than enough. We thank you. Help us to rest in you today, trust in you today, walk with you today, knowing that you are the life-giving God and you alone. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Clark Summit University's Chapel Series. Visit www.clarksummitu.edu to learn more about CSU. Become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate through on-campus and online degree programs. Look for us on social media, at Clark Summit U, and share your feedback.